Do you seek the freedom to pursue greater meaning and purpose in your life? Is there something that you're passionate about that you'd like to support by giving time, talent, or money? Do you seek a level of financial freedom to live an ideal life as you uniquely define it? Welcome to the Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier, a show dedicated to helping you gain the confidence and freedom to lead a life of personal significance and help you get your actions and resources in alignment with what matters most. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier. My name is Mike Bernard. I'm a certified financial planner, also your host. Thanks for being with us today. This show is all about helping you discover what matters most and helping you get your actions and resources in alignment with those goals. We combine excellence with wealth management with the pursuit of meaning and purpose in your life. Jeff Bernier is the founder, president, and chief investment officer of Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, a wealth management firm in Alpharetta, Georgia, suburb of the greater Atlanta area. Couple questions for you. What is your process for managing your investments? Is it based on evidence and research? Or is it based on a hunch of yours or maybe your investment advisor, a hunch of theirs? On today's show, we're going to discuss healthy investor behavior and an evidence-based approach to investment management. Before we dive in, Jeff, initial thoughts. Um, yeah, well, first of all, Mike, I just I want to thank you guys again for this partnership and putting these shows together. I, I certainly hope they're creating some value for our listeners and yeah. and, um, and and really enjoy doing them. So thanks for, for, for help uh, in this uh, in this enterprise. So, you know, we've talked a bit about our professional mission to help our clients create the capacity to pursue their vision of a meaningful life. And for most of us, in order to create this capacity, it requires a rising income stream over a long period of time. So you've got to have this rising income stream to create this freedom. So therefore, allocating our investment capital in a well-thought-out, research-based approach is, is certainly critical. That's I completely agree. So most people off the street, when they come in, contact Tandem Growth, sit down with you and your team of professionals the first time, do they normally come in with a well-defined investment approach? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the short answer is no. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that Generally speaking, we live in what I call a selection and timing culture, where many people believe that outperformance, you know, whatever that is, is a financial goal. Yeah. And I think that many people believe that owning investments that beat some arbitrary benchmark will somehow endow them with a retirement income they can't outlive or pay for college expenses or leave a meaningful legacy, when in fact, outperformance is, is not a, a financial goal. And it's been my experience, at least, that the more people try to beat the market, the more likely it is that they won't even meet the market. They'll probably fall far short by all this effort to try to beat the market. So most people fail to accomplish financial goals not because of what their investments do, but because of what investors do. Mm-hmm. So they get in this game of trying to handicap managers or pick outperforming products when the overwhelming evidence suggests that the vast majority of these active managers underperform their relative benchmarks anyway. Mm. So it's really difficult to identify these managers who will, quote, outperform in the future. So many people have a philosophy around active stock picking or or, or manager selection. Mm-hmm. So with that being the conventional investment thinking or approach, Jeff, how is your approach to investment management different? How would you describe your evidence-based investment approach? Yeah, uh, so first and foremost, you know, we're goal-focused and planning-driven. Yes. So we're a financial planning uh, firm 
Um, and so what I mean by goal-focused and planning-driven is that our client's financial goals should dictate the investment strategy, not some unreliable fad or forecast of the day. So first of all, the plan drives the policy. That's exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. So that's, that's number one. Number two is, um, you know, we believe in this multiple asset class diversification, meaning we want to own asset classes with positive expected returns that don't all move in the same direction at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, essentially, what we're trying to do is capture what markets deliver in a low-cost, tax-efficient manner, and where possible, tilt the portfolios to certain factors that independent, peer-reviewed academic research indicates can yield uh, higher expected returns. Mm-hmm. Um, next, we want to allocate positions in a tax-efficient manner. So we try to put the least tax-efficient asset classes in those sheltered accounts, tax-sheltered accounts like IRAs or 401ks, and we want to put the most tax-efficient asset classes in taxable accounts. Yep. Uh, we want to periodically rebalance portfolios back to our target allocations in order to manage risk. And also, it can increase exposure to those asset classes that may be better value because of uh, because they may have recently been out of favor and therefore a bit a bit cheaper. Mm-hmm. And finally, we want to manage portfolios in a tax aware manner. So not only do we want to be thoughtful and wise in how we allocate asset classes to various structures, day to day we want to manage tax liability in the portfolio so we can harvest losses. We might even take gains where appropriate limit unnecessary trading, and, of course, lo- gifting out low basis shares to charity where, where possible. If, you, uh, if you're intrigued a little bit by that, by that tax discussion, we did a Money and Meaning episode uh, a couple of months ago about the uh, new tax law changes, and Jeff shared several really insightful um, tax planning strategies that either remained after the new tax laws or maybe are more valuable after the new tax laws. So, again, that, that's a huge value add. you got to harness the tax laws with your investment decision. There's possible return there that you should be getting in your financial life just by harnessing those tax laws. Correct. All right. So the idea that, uh, you know, trying to um, run around, chase your tail to try to outperform the market and have that be the benchmark, um, that be the goal, is uh, is very risky. And research shows that uh, essentially you can't reliably do that. Talk about that in light of what's happening with the market this year. We had record low volatility in 2017, and now here, 2018, many people are nervous about the market. Okay, so the world seems a bit more unstable. And I'll tell you, at least from my experience, when that happens, people seem to, well, you're, you know, a a country guy, Jesus take the wheel. (laughs) So they they take the, they try to grab the wheel and overcorrect, make some changes. Right. What would you say to that? Yeah, that's uh, that's a, a, a great analogy, too. I, you know, I think to be a good investor, you have to learn to be uncomfortable. Um. I don't know that I did a great job with this with my children, but that's an also a useful gift raising kids <laughs> as you learn to get outside your comfort zone. But, you know, it, it's interesting. I, you know, we have clients or prospective clients that come in, and they're either in two camps, one of two camps often. They either think the market's too high and they're concerned about the next shoe dropping and yep. what do we do to protect. And then we've got other clients that say, look, market cap weighted S&P 500 type indexes have done better than diversified portfolios in the last four or five years, so why do we need a diversified portfolio? And so those people that say the market's too high, I, you know, Nick Murray, who is a consultant and a, a friend, 
and our industry is 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 a great um, resource. But he says, you know, if you think the market's high today, just wait till you see it twenty years from today. <laughs> yes. But to give you a better answer, again, as I mentioned, I think the world is always unstable. It's always unpredictable. And so we just got to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. So uncertainty is actually the norm. Second, if you have a financial goal that's five years or six years or so shorter, you, you shouldn't be in equities anyway. That's right. You know, so you need if you need if you need this money back in four, five, six, seven years, you've got to question whether you ought to be in equities. And there again, you got to start with the goal. What's the goal for this money? Correct. If it's a short-term goal, that drives the investment decision. That's right. Yeah, that is exactly right. And so, you know, back to this all-time high discussion, you know, the market's frequently at an all-time high. And so, because we have a positive trending market, I mean, the S&P 500 for the average 60-year-old was 44 when they were born. That's unbelievable. Yeah, that's what the S&P was at. Today, it's about 2,700. So, our client's life experience is growth. Yeah. Uh, And and so, in this positive trending market, frequently, you're at all-time highs. I saw a statistic recently where they looked at month-end closing values of the S&P 500 going back to 1926. Yeah. And there were 1,103 months. Okay. Of those 1,103 months, 30% of the market was at an all-time high. That's unbelievable. Yeah, so 30% of the time, you're, you're, you're at an all-time high. So the thing to remember is that the equity markets are positive about three out of every four years. Mm-hmm. So about one out of four, you get a negative result. So 75% of the time, you're, you're positive. So if you were a baseball manager and you had a batter that got a hit three out of every four times, how often would you have them at the plate? <laughs> as often as I could. You're darn right. <laughs> Even though you know they're going to strike out one out of every four times. So again, the thing to remember is you're going to get these negative experiences about 25% of the calendar years. And again, if you're a 60-year-old moving into the second half, you're likely to experience five bear markets over your life expectancy. So mm-hmm. while it's not quite as frequent as the changing of the seasons, mm-hmm. it's almost as methodical. That's right. And so it, it's, it's really a bad idea to try to time these episodes that, that are coming, that you think are coming. Mm-hmm. You know, Peter Lynch, who was one of the greatest investors in, in securities in the last uh, 30 or 40 years or so, always said that far more money has been lost by investors trying to anticipate corrections than the, than the corrections themselves. And then the last thing I guess I would say about the experts, because the experts don't know either. Yeah. Um, so that's great. You know, our clients um, aren't disadvantaged over the experts. That's right. the experts don't know either. And, you know, I think many people would suggest that, uh, you know, Alan Greenspan, which was the chairman uh, of the uh, Federal Reserve for many, many years, and, and many believe he did a phenomenal job, you know, in 1996, he was testifying in front of Congress. In 96. Yeah. And he was calling the market too high. He was calling it, or the, the, there appears to be an environment of irrational exuberance. That is a famous quote, irrational yeah. exuberance. Yeah, yeah there, there's uh, somebody even wrote a book with that title not long after that. And when he said that, the market was at 743. Yeah. And what did I just say it was? About 2,700 <laughs> or so right. uh, recently. So anyway, so... But when he said that in December of 96, the market was at 743. Within two years, it was at 1500. And we know that the tech bubble was about to burst, but, but this was four years before it burst that he said that. Yeah. That is just, it's just fascinating. And again, underscores, it's just hard, if not impossible, to try to 
accurately guess those changes in season. Yeah. yeah. And, so, and so, again, I, I guess the key is we've got a plan on long life expectancy. So our typical 60-year-old's got a plan on 30 years plus. Mm-hmm. And so you can really ignore the noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a listener to our radio show recently asked, should my investments beat the stock market? How would you answer that, Jeff? Yeah, you know, as I mentioned before, we're, you know, we are getting that question occasionally for people that, um, you know, that are comparing a diversified portfolio to a just a U.S.-centric, large U.S. equity portfolio, which is, has done incredibly well over the last three or four years. Not too dissimilar, by the way, uh, to the late 90s before the tech bubble. I yeah. mean, during the late 90s, early 2000s, large U.S. equities were the driver, largely driven by tech, yeah. tech technology stocks. Same and again, thing right now. Very similar. Yeah. So a handful of, of companies are, are driving the market. But in terms of should you equal or beat the market, you know, I think part of the answer relates to what I said earlier about outperformance is not a financial goal. So when someone asks, you know, why my portfolio is not beating the market, it's usually a question of time horizon and risk. You should certainly not expect to beat the market if your portfolio has less risk than the market. You got it. I mean, it's rational in in the long run. So there's no free lunch, you know. So I've met very few investors who could handle the risk um, that the U.S. equity market – the volatility of the U.S. equity market, where you could psychologically be prepared for a 50% loss. Now, it's not a loss. It's a temporary decline, but, you know, it's very difficult. So Mm -hmm. I've just not met that many investors who are willing to sit through a 50% decline without panicking or at least affecting their quality of life. And if this show's about money and meaning, you know, we want return on life. That's right. So if we're worried about our portfolio every day, how much return on life are we are we actually getting so it, the point is if you can meet all of your financial goals mm-hmm. with less volatility than the quote market why would you want the volatility of the market and then therefore why should you be why would you be comparing your performance to that bingo bingo so it's just not rational to build a portfolio that gives you a return equal to the market if you can meet your goals with a less volatile portfolio um that, that, again, will potentially fall short of the market because you have less risk. Mm-hmm. And so remember, uh, I mean, the market compounded at a negative 3.6% per year for the nine years ended in 2009. So you had to sit through a nine-year period of negative returns, and, the, and you would have equaled the market. That's right. <laughs> at negative 3.9, This is the stellar S&P 500 that right now, if you're in a balanced portfolio, you might say, well, that's the winner. That's the one that I want. Yeah. No, it wasn't that long ago, folks, where, yeah, you had a average negative return if you just held the S&P 500. That's right. And, that, and that's why I said the time horizon. It's a question of risk and time horizon because over that nine-year period, Mm-hmm. The balanced portfolio that has underperformed the U.S. equity market over the last three or four years beat the market 7.6% per year. Per year. Over that nine-year period. So yeah. it depends on which slice of history you want to look at. Yeah. So because of these behavioral mistakes, you know, it's really my belief that, that many investors don't even come close to capturing what markets deliver. So this evidence-based behavioral coaching approach that we endorse – um, you know, doesn't really run for a platform that we promise to exceed or beat some arbitrary benchmark. It's, it's that our clients are likely to have a high probability of funding their financial goals, and they're probably likely to outperform uh, most other investors, but not because their investments outperform other investors. It's because they will behave better 
mm-hmm. than other investors. Let me go back to where we started the the episode. It's about investment approach, investment strategy, of investment philosophy. So if you're working with a financial planner, like how Jeff was referring, where they've got a research-based process for investing, then you're much more likely to ride through those ups and downs and have a better long-term experience and performance than someone who doesn't have a well-thought-out approach because you're going to be more swayed by which direction the wind's blowing. Well, I think, and I, th- and I think the thing we talked about before when we talked about our philosophy, the first thing in the philosophy was this goal-focused and planning-driven. Yeah. So just anecdotally, I mean, back in 2008, early 2009, you know, we had some clients that, you know, had temporary declines. Mm-hmm. They weren't losses because they didn't sell anything, but they were temporary declines. And so, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're concerned, and they should be concerned. I mean, it, mm-hmm. was a, it was a very difficult period of time. But they come into the office. We evaluate their financial plan. And you know what? Maybe they couldn't retire at their target retirement date. Mm-hmm. Or they could retire at the target retirement date, but on about 85% of the previous goal. You manage the trade-offs. So they could, exactly. So they could retire at the same time with less retirement income, about 15% less retirement income. Or mm-hmm. they could choose to work three more years yeah. and retire at the same retirement income goal. So it took this scary thing that was going on and quantified it. And once they saw, oh, it's three more years, or oh, it's 85%. That gave them the safety belt. So we're the so that plan was the safety belt on the roller coaster that kept them from doing something foolish, selling at the bottom, mm-hmm. which they would never recover from. Right. And so that one decision of keeping clients from making that mistake yeah. is a really, really lifelong valuable decision. By by, by doing by having goals and, and being goal-focused in your planning. Correct. That's absolutely right. So, Jeff, in the last episode, we talked about you reaching the milestone of 33 years <laughs> in the business. Right. And with all of that experience, you've seen lots of volatility, lots of scary moments in the market. So how would you, how would you speak to that? Yeah, well, I, I mean, the, the main ones that I can speak to is in my career advising clients, um, the 87 Black Monday, which was the largest one-day percentage drop, uh, the 90 Gulf War, uh, you know, 94, most people even forget about this one, there was a bond market correction that was pretty severe. In 98, there was a global currency crisis that was uh, stressful. Mm-hmm. Most people remember the tech bust because yep. it, was, it was quite dramatic. Uh, and of course, the Great Recession of 2007 through 2009. And without question, the most chilling time was, was this 2007 to 2009 episode. And I think what made it more challenging was there was just a total lack of, of confidence yeah. in the financial system. Yeah. Um, I mean, there were financial products that were created to securitize mortgages, and so a lot of investors had stuff they didn't even know what they bought, and uh, so it, and there was no trading, there was no confidence in in counterparties, you know. Yeah. So if you were a, and so there was just a sort of a freeze up in trading, which which was was a was quite scary, yes. and without without any question at all. But I did learn some valuable lessons, and I guess. I don't know that I learned valuable lessons, but it certainly reinforced lessons that I already knew. Yeah. But when you are in the trenches and there's bullets flying, it's really good to go back to your principles. You know, uh, Doc, uh, Benjamin Graham, who was Warren Buffett's mentor mm-hmm. at Columbia, he always said the key to being a good investor is, number one, manage your emotions. But number two, you need to have rules. 
you need to have that are research-based and evidence-based that we're talking about here. And uh, so these are just some of those rules, if you will. And so I, I did learn some valuable lessons. As a matter of fact, I remember five years after uh, the Lehman collapse. So the Lehman collapse was in 2008. So right at that five-year anniversary, I did a client event, and I basically went through these lessons. So he- here's a few lessons that I think are useful. The first one is, you know, we use an evidence-based approach. Mm-hmm. So we use a lot of academic research in the work that we do. But academic research is not enough to get you through a crisis, only faith in the future. And in my opinion, the help of an advisor that will potentially transmute that faith you got it. into the future. You got it. So number one, uh, this academic research won't work. You really need faith in the future. If you believe the world is going to end, there is no strategy that will protect you from the world ending yep. that I'm aware of, at I, least. Me too. So, um, so number two is the importance of a financial plan. We just talked about that. The, the financial plan keeps you in your seat. So during the financial crisis, our clients uh, did well because they had a plan to go back to and evaluate. Number three, have a plan B. Hmm. This is always good advice. You know, we ask clients all the time if you are overfunded to your goals. In other words, if you've got more capital than is required to fund your goals, what are you likely to do, hypothetically speaking? Yeah. If you're underfunded to your goals, if you're no longer tracking to your goals, hypothetically speaking, what are you likely to change? So in terms of changes, um, you know, you could – um, you know, you could retire later, as I mentioned. You could increase the expected return on your portfolio mm-hmm. and the volatility associated with that. Exactly. You know, you could retire later. You could retire less income. You could save more of their choices. Mm-hmm. If you're overfunded, you have the luxury mm-hmm. to reduce the volatility in the expected return on your portfolio. Yeah. You could retire earlier. You could leave a bigger legacy. You could retire with more income. I mean, you have choices. So it's important to have a have a plan Uh, to have a plan B. The other thing that I talked a lot about during the financial crisis, and I think this is a good lesson for all of us, is um, continue to invest in your capability. Ooh, love it. Human capital, for many of us, is our most important asset. Yes. So, you know, and that's more challenging as you get a little bit older and not as much energy and not as much passion about learning new things. But I would just encourage you to continue to invest in your capability. Number four... You know, assuming you had a sound investment process, remain disciplined to the process. This is back to the Benjamin Graham comment that I made before. So, for instance, if we continue to rebalance portfolios, and we did. So, in 08, late 08, we sold fixed income and we bought some equities because the market was the equity market was down. Yep. In early 09, that didn't look terribly smart because the equity market was down some more, we did it again. Yes. We sold fixed income, we bought more equities, close to the bottom. And we didn't do it because we're all that smart. We didn't do it because we were trying to time the market. It's because it was our process and our discipline. And so both of those things, liquidating a little bit of fixed income and rebalancing back into the equities to get to our prescribed strategy, increased returns. Yeah. So it, it's, it's interesting. I remember during the crisis, one of the major fixed income managers, their chief investment officer was advising people not to rebalance. Oh, my goodness. And I'm thinking, uh, you know. They're, again, the experts necessarily. You can't listen and trust their opinion on this either. They don't know. Yeah, so I thought that was fairly interesting. And then the final point or lesson, I guess, is to focus on areas that you actually have control over. Yeah. You You know, there are some things that matter 
that you have absolutely no control over. Well, don't worry about these things. You don't have any control over them. You can't control them. There are other things that don't matter that you have no control over, and you don't have to worry about these either. They don't matter, right? And then finally, there are just a few things that matter that you have control over. Mm -hmm. So the key is focus on those things that matter that you have control over. Don't worry about things that you have no control over, and don't worry about things that don't matter. Wonderful. That is that is fantastic advice. Uh, before we wrap up, wrap up today, Jeff, what final comments do you have? Well, th- well, thanks, Mike. Uh, well, this is episode six in our monthly and me uh, uh, monthly money and meaning show, and as we've said, uh, you know, the goal here is try to combine some encouragement and counsel on these important wealth management topics and to get into some of these deeper issues around meaning and purpose. And so I hope, uh, you know, you and I and our audience are, are learning as we go and, and we'll continue to try to develop content and some ideas that are useful. And uh, I would just encourage the listeners to give us some feedback. Uh, they can go to meaning at tandemgrowth.com if they'd like to shoot us an email. So money and meaning at tandemgrowth.com. And then again, Mike, thanks again for sharing this journey with me. Oh, happy to. I, I hope you learned a lot. I know I did. This was very helpful. And as Jeff said, check out Tandem Growth at tandemgrowth.com. And you can even catch up. This is our sixth episode. You can catch up on previous episodes or check out the blog, tandemgrowth.com backslash perspectives. Thanks, folks. We'll see you next time for Money and Meaning with Jeff Bernier. Thank you for listening to the Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier, a show dedicated to help you gain the confidence and freedom to lead a life of personal significance and help you get your actions and resources in alignment with what matters most. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions for Jeff or Mike or comments on the show, feel free to reach out to us at moneyandmeaning at tandemgrowth.com. Or you can find us on the web at www.tandemgrowth.com. Jeff Bernier is the President and Chief Investment Officer at Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. This show is a production of Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC. All information discussed is general in nature, is provided for informational purposes only, and should not be construed as specific financial, legal, or tax advice. Listeners should consult an attorney or tax professional regarding their specific legal or tax situation. Listeners should not rely on the content of this podcast as the basis for any investment decisions. A professional advisor should be consulted and or independent due diligence should be conducted before implementing anything discussed in this show. While information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, Tandem Growth Financial Advisors LLC does not guarantee its accuracy and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed. Tandem Growth Financial Advisors LLC does not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information prepared by any unaffiliated third party, such as guests on the podcast, and takes no responsibility for the same. 